Andino Andina, the story continues. It was a few days later. I'd been thinking about what Grisha had told me, Antonio, about the history of the nation, and it made sense why the felines had been drawn to this particular region. I kept calling them felines, although I had no idea what they actually were. Nor did I know why I held back broaching the topic. I didn't exactly hold back talking about anything else. I decided to plunge right in and headed for the seed bank. Risha and I were companionably bagging and labelling seeds that were dried and ready when Anna came crashing through the door. School's out for today? Yeah. What a day. Who wants a drink? Anna steered straight for the kitchenette without waiting for an answer. Better not ask, Risha said. Where were we? I was asking, where did you start? I understand it must have been about half a millennia or thereabouts ago, so I might be out of luck, but are there any reliable, documented sources to learn from? Our way doesn't have to be your way, remember that. Of course not. I'm just perpetually curious. You got that in common with Anna, Risha said, and blinked at Anna, who had returned with a mug of instant coffee. That's me, she laughed. Well, long before free electricity which you already know, we had free health care. And I don't mean sick care, though that is free also, as it is in the interest of everybody that people are healthy. Education is also free, but not compulsory, as I'm sure I mentioned the other day. Not in so much detail, I smiled. I see. Right. Everyone's expected to learn the basics, meaning read, write and arithmetic, how to grow and harvest food, and other practical skills with regards to health and hygiene, the rest is interest-driven. Further education is encouraged, in whatever form it may come. No one starves here. All in all, it's a very relaxed existence, where individuals are respected, can be heard, and no one works excessive hours, unless they choose to do so because they enjoy what they do. It is rather diverse, including a lot of up-and-coming inventors and green technology, but not as you know it. That sounds very progressive, I agreed. You've heard nothing yet, Anna mused. Risha continued. We also changed how we record our past story, with the emphasis on what's going on with the people. When we teach about the past, it is not about wars and battles, and no leaders or rulers to memorize. Anyone interested in that can simply look it up in the official records. Students familiarize themselves with living history. For example, when did someone come up with the growing pods, and how have they evolved? After solar power was introduced, how has its usage changed, expanded and improved the quality of life over the centuries? And the same for the bioplastic and the smart solar sensors. The food banks and the seed banks. How has that developed? How crops have improved by careful selection and attention to flavour and nutritional value? What projects were recorded and which gained support and how did it affect life? How do you mean? Projects recorded? I asked. Here, if you have a good idea, you can put it to the board and it will be heard and evaluated. It will be put to test on its own merits, such as, is it going to improve people's lives or that of other species? Is it going to impact the environment, and if so, how? No idea gets passed and the go-ahead that is deemed detrimental in any way, no matter how persuasive you are. Anyone over 20 can request a hearing, or over 15 in special circumstances. Rejected suggestions can be brought up for reconsideration at a later time, if requested. 
Listening to you brings me back to my school days, Anna joked. It's fascinating, I protested. Because it's so obvious and yet so different from what I know and I'm used to. Please continue. Risha stretched and went to fetch a pitcher of water from the kitchen before she continued. I took a sip. Water here tastes very different from everywhere else. That's probably because most water for drinking here is distilled. It's good for you. You don't drink distilled water where you live? Anna looked surprised. I don't even know where to buy it, unless it's for a car battery or something. We just drink so-called purified stuff. I had missed the treat of a Scottish spring water, or a real French mineral water, ever since I left England. So middle class, I know. Well, we have both. Sorry for the interruption. Where were we? I'd say the most important step for us, after Solo, was starting to choose our leaders by merit and integrity. Cool. That'd be a full turnaround from electing someone because you went to the same school or because your friend who you believe knows more about politics than you do told you to support such and such. Yes, indeed. Taking responsibility. Do your own research and look behind the obvious track records as tracks can be laid down, falsified. Anyone who is motivated by power or money is out. Loud and silver-tongued can make a good leader, but not necessarily someone worth following. Look for someone realistic, as well as with vision, and anyone who doesn't deliver, remove. Accountability is another key word. Hold them accountable, and if they don't do a good job, let them go. Repeated and deliberate lying equals disqualification. We now trust our trustees, as we renamed them about 170 years ago. To be a trustee is an honour. They are true civil servants who want what is best for the Republic and its people. They live among the people and are easily approachable for the community. They do get a monetary allowance, but anyone motivated by greed need not apply since no one would vote them in. Corruption is close to nothing. I sat speechless. This was such a unique window into a totally different societal structure. It all sounded so simple. And it worked, too, by the look of things, and the world apart from our vision of reality. The simple and uncomplicated often do work, once the underlying fears and festering insecurities of survival have been removed, Risha said, as if she'd read my mind. I nodded slowly. I don't know what to say after that, I said finally. We all worked in silence, until all the dried seeds were packaged and stored away. Real tea at mine? Risha asked. I thought you'd never ask. Anna jumped up and stretched. Please, c'est parti. Let's go. When the guys started Sunreef, they decided on what Tonio jokingly called European Working Week, and because they were young guys and friends, they could. European Working Week? What does that mean? A five-day week instead of six. Enough to live on and time to actually have a life and not just work. Good for them. That was the goal, at least. In the beginning it was, as expected, long days and time off only happened sporadically when nature intervened in some way. So they're making less than they could, but it's okay. It's a priority thing. Less money, more time and no fancy cars. I thought fondly of our 15-year-old tracker. 
I had loved it when we bought it because it looked like a miniature classic adventure car straight out of Scooby-Doo. Tonyo joked that it had natural air condition that only worked when in motion. The notion of having a life, something we found the Andinos excelled at, had at first been a new and somewhat confusing concept for the staff. In Mexico, from what I understand, work and socializing went together. You work slow, grueling hours in the heat, jabbering away. Working long hours, six days a week, meant little time or tradition to make friends outside of the family and those you work with. For the most part, the free time just meant drinking and bantering, as that is all anyone ever seemed to do. A life outside of this, one that involved hobbies or pursuing other interests, must be a relatively new thing. As most hobbies cost money, that could explain why the majority don't go there, especially when they have family and obligations. Also, no ordinary Mexican I've ever encountered expect fulfillment from work. They just made the best of whatever situation with a resilience that amazed and sometimes astounded me. I knew Tonio and Eduardo had been meeting with a financial and business advisor in the weeks before we came away. They'd been discussing the implications and possibilities to offer a choice of a five- or six-day working week for production and fitting staff, at the request of those now in the family way. It wasn't just about balancing taxes and insurance and all that either. Sunroof paid their staff comparatively well, so I found it perplexing that employees did not want to make the most of the bonus day and spend that time with their children and watch them grow up. For the first year I kept track of all the receipts and papers for the accountant. Now they employ a bookkeeper who comes in four hours a day and does wages and what not too. I still help out now and again, just to remind myself and the staff that I'm not a capped wife and a useless gringa. Is that how you see yourself, Jackie? Risha asked gently. Sometimes, I said truthfully. When my sensitivity gets to me and leaves me exhausted, when I can't do all the stuff everyone else seems to manage just fine. Sometimes, the oppressive heat and the humidity is the least of the problem, only the final straw. Like noisy neighbours where we lived before, the sheer density of people almost everywhere feels crowded to me. Long days among lots of people, the perpetual bantering that is such an integral part of life in Mexico. The cultural differences where everything is done in groups of as many people as possible, and where the more the merrier is an established way of life. I'm just not wired for that way, and I find it incredibly draining. The play-off back and forth between the sexes. Personally, I find flirting and coquetting one's way to what you want seriously uncomfortable. Yet, no one else seems to have a problem with it, so it's got to be a cultural thing. Some even use it as a way to raise their self-esteem. You enter a shop and immediately get jumped on by someone jabbering at you, trying to help you or entice you to buy, before you even had the chance to look. It's an extroverted nation, and I expect predominantly extroverted people can just ignore it all. I can't seem to manage to do that. It irritates me to the point where I want to scream, get the fuck out of my personal space, or swat at the motor mouth following me around like a pesky horsefly. Then there's the ever-present noise pollution. Everywhere you go, people seem to take it as their duty to assault you orally. 
Even the supermarket plays music so loud you have to shout. And having to shout repeatedly to a member of staff, I'm never quite sure if it's me they don't understand or the volume. I don't want the whole store to know how crap I am at speaking their language. Not that anyone would give two hoots. I seem to be the only one who can't stop listening, even when it's music I can't stand. The rest of the world seems to manage just fine. In England and France I manage just fine too. In Mexico I sometimes wonder if I've developed an intolerant gene late in life. Suddenly emotions bubbled out of seemingly nowhere. I fought to hold back the tears and lost. And that made me angry and frustrated on top of everything else. I wished there was a miracle pill I could take that would make me enjoy the noise, not mind the crowds and the melee. It makes me feel so alien when I don't get what everyone else seemed to enjoy. It leaves me cold and uncomfortable, non-belonging, insignificant. That's it, I feel insignificant. Even at my best I don't feel good enough and that fucking sucks. To top it off, after all these years, I still get annoyed with myself for not being more outgoing. Join any group and fit right in. Grab fun by the horns and steamroller through life. Risha passed me a clean cotton handkerchief but said nothing. If you could feel what I feel, meaning what everyone else around you is feeling, particularly tourists trying so hard to get away from and attempt to drown their worries in alcohol and whatnot and do all kinds of stupid shit they'd never do at home. If you felt what everyone else is trying so hard not to think about and therefore broadcast even louder, what they're desperate for, angry about, hoping for, you wouldn't like it either, trust me. I think some people would, Anna said with a mischievous glint in her eyes. The ones who love gossip, for example. I know what you mean, and I appreciate you trying to lighten things up. But I don't get details, just the emotions, and it makes me feel nauseated. The fears and the money worries swimming around the gut, smolder in anger at perceived unfair situations at work, desperation, wishing someone in particular would notice them, for love or a promotion or a raise, guilt, 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 guilt over work versus children, aging parents, all the shoulds and ought to, sticking to a diet, skipping gym, going to the gym and feeling guilty over me time not spent with the children, guilty for wanting me time at all, lack of community without ever defining what it means, hating the boss and anyone who looks like they've managed to get ahead. It's endless and it's all there in a mud-brown emotional disgusting soup. More like vomit, but I get what you mean, I think, and I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. When people drink, it all comes seeping out like vapour, like sweat does on a physical level. Risha nodded. I get that too, and I'm glad I don't live where you do. Alcohol overuse isn't a big thing here. I feel so uneasy and get annoyed when people harp on about she really knows how to enjoy herself, or she's a girl who knows to have fun. To me it sounds like she likes to drink too much, panic, freak out and make a tit of herself. There are different ways to enjoy oneself, and no one size fits all, Anna said. You got it. Why can't the rest of the world grasp that? I bloody hated when they poked fun at me and accused me of being boring or weak. Shit like that tends to stick when it comes from someone considered cool. And while I'm on my soapbox, I don't see the value in waking up with a stranger 
or somewhere random, or puking and feeling like shit the whole day after the night out. The I can't remember, so it must have been a good night method of deduction. Anna looked appalled. That doesn't sound like a good night to me. I call it peer pressure and insecurity, Risha said. I agree, but it still gets to me sometimes. It makes me feel so alien. Probably because, in one sense, I know they're right. I'm not very good at relaxing. Feeling heard and understood, my frustration evaporated. I felt my face red hot. I'm so sorry, I stammered. I guess I've been building that resentment for some time. I'm so sorry. Cheeks still burning, I kept looking at my hands. Don't worry, we're on your team. We both like different fun too. I dared a glance at Risha, then Anna. And I'd already worked that out, about being rubbish at relaxing, Anna chortled. I'm trying to help you improve, I grinned. Laughing dispersed the tension. Being sensitive in a world that does not understand or support sensitivity can't have been easy, Risha said soothingly. Why don't you tell us, in your own words, why you think Bronze Posse chose you? I don't really know. Not specifically. I know I wasn't their first choice, and I'm ever so grateful to be here and have met you two and seen this place. To me it's amazing. It's incredible. Risha nodded. Perhaps it has to do with all the things you just listed as negative about yourself. Your sensitivity, your questioning everything around you, and dreaming of a better world for everyone. That makes me sound like some kind of hippie. The moment I said it, I wished I hadn't. It sounded like a slur on some of the nicest people I'd known, and I cringed. Try calling it visionary. It has a nicer ring to it. So many see our future or that of this planet, as death and destruction and dystopia. At heart you don't. Am I right? Am I a naive romantic fool, do you mean? I guess, but I'd never admit to it, except here, with you two. I grinned. I couldn't help myself. I'd found members of my tribe. I'm fascinated, though, Anna said later. Are you any good with psychometry? Not really. Don't get me wrong, it's always a thrill to get first-hand information, or as close to first-hand information you can from historical places and events. I just wish it was something I could peruse in my own time, rather than get hit by at random. It makes me feel like I'm a ticking time bomb, only I don't know when I'll go off. Like I'm a liability to my friends when we go places. Have you always been like that? Yeah. I used to say hello to people only I could see it transpired got told off at kindergarten for it, but luckily my parents knew better. I say my parents, but what I really mean is my dad. And shaming a highly sensitive person, as it is now called, isn't a hard blow. It's a fucking knockout blow. HSPs, as we're now called, are almost incapable of not taking things to heart and shaking it off. It's still there decades later, like sharp grains of sand in your shoes. Only it's in your heart or wherever. So you did go to university too, right? What did you study? Anna asked. History. It always fascinated me, because I could sense so much more than was being presented. So that's what I chose. Together with French, as that was easy, I said. One out of interest, one useful. Or that was the plan. 
I admit I was naive, thinking I could put my unusual senses to some good use. What do you mean? I'm not stupid. I understand that you are there to learn to follow a scientific approach, to come to conclusions, and to be able to prove how you arrived at your theories, etc. You can't have every student go off on individual flights of fancy, unless you're an art student or doing some creative writing or something. But I had hoped to be able to take things deeper, use my extrasensory abilities to navigate and discover my way around the centuries where history was doubtful or dubious. So much of what we read as gospel is just old guesses that people have forgotten what guesses. But as long as you've quoted someone else, you're okay. That can't be right. It made my head foggy just thinking about it. I could not get for this narrow and polarized view. There is so much more to it than that. After that first disillusioning year, when we were asked to focus on an area of particular interest, I just felt completely discouraged already and concluded I'm simply not academic or tenacious enough. I contemplated changing to archaeology or anthropology, but my heart just wasn't in it anymore. I had volunteered and worked at the veterinary clinic for years now to know that I did not have what it takes to be a veterinarian either. So I opted for a year out to work and considered my options through the lens of some travelling. And then I met Tonio on an archaeological site near Merida in the Yucatan. So I moved to Mexico instead and did a joint degree in French and English online with some technical writing thrown in for good measure. I'm thinking, in the not-so-distant future, Risha said, perhaps time travel, or at least timeline travel, will give your history a little bit more depth than it has today. You mean intuition is fine as long as it's at least a century or more old? Anna raised an eyebrow. How does a student, or anyone really, challenge that? I find it hypocritical. Anna looked at Risha. What was it you told us when I had you in past story? The concept of history is that it's always written from the perspective of the victor and later rewritten to suit successors to fit their agenda. There simply is no such thing as an ultimate past story, just as there is no absolute truth. Paraphrased. So you did pay attention, Risha feigned surprise, and there I was thinking you were daydreaming, she teased. Actually, I am flattered. You teach that in class? You're allowed to say that? I was impressed. Well, maybe. Apparently I did. I suspect I simply said it was my truth and encouraged each of my students to find their own, alongside the official version. And, as you can tell, they appear to have listened. Risha winked at Anna. Wow. What else do you teach? Mostly I teach about seeds, about the importance of keeping seeds pure. We are in a unique position with our growing pods, in remote communities and isolated locations, that we can do that. Most settlements the size of Cordoba, or bigger, have their own beekeeper too. So what's the most important thing about seeds? To pick the seeds from the healthiest plants and return them to the seed bank during the season. This was Anna chiming in again. Then she, she nodded at Risha, or whoever is in charge at the seed bank, deals with the drying, storing and the labels. Almost everyone save their own seeds too. The seed bank is both our kind of backup in case of crop failure and where everyone who wants to try growing something new or different can come. 
you can just come here and pick up or request seeds. Everything is grown and dealt with naturally. The seed keeper keeps track and is in contact with other seed banks. Everything has to go through whoever handles the seed bank administration in a particular area. If you want to try something new, they will source it for you. By picking seeds from the choosiest plants every year, there is no need for anything artificial. There is only one rule. Everything has to be unadulterated. That is the main concern. Therefore, the seeds from the juiciest fruits, sweetest berries, tastiest vegetables, the biggest ears of corn, etc., comes here to ensure we have a healthy stock. If you grow things in a natural and complementary fashion, it is rare that you get fungus or pests. Rotate your crops properly and you won't deplete the soil of minerals, etc. Add some well-rotted natural fertilizer every few years and you're good to go. It works and our crops grow abundantly more than we need. People are generally respectful and mindful of others. There is more than enough to go around, so there's no hoarding out of fear of starvation. And our animals eat and live well too. You've got to be doing it right. The food here is extraordinary. I looked at Anna. To begin with, I thought it was Nadia's mother who was an exceptional cook and using secret condiments. But when I had a go with some I picked up in the square, it was almost as good. And I'm no kitchen witch. So, to sum up your initial question, the basic needs are taken care of, food and electricity. People contribute what they can. And you are free to sell or trade wares or services in any way you want, however you choose to, Anna added. It works a little bit different in the cities, naturally. But Laja is nowhere near as crowded as you told me La Paz was when you arrived there. I'll save that for another day. Remind me if you really want to know. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Andino Andina is written, read, edited and produced by me. Copyright Liz Rosales 2014 and 2021